Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. The world is in chaos. There are problems in governments. There are problems with finances, there are wars, there are deaths, there's inequality and injustice. And you gather together a group of nobles and kings and princes and you sit them in a room. And one person who is the self-appointed leader says, we have a problem. Our world is in shambles. Something must be done. If we continue this route, we will all be dead. We've got to come together, work together, and fix this. And the room kind of has a a pregnant pause. Because everybody knows and sees the problem, but nobody knows how to fix it. because, Because it's gotten this way in spite of everything they'd tried before. And then... One of the people at the table kind of lifts his hand up and says, I have an idea. I think this will work. Let's let's send a baby. And let's have this baby be born in a cave. And let's... Let's have the birth something different. Let's let's choose a a young girl, but let's let her be a virgin. And when this baby is born, let's proclaim the news to the lowest of people, the shepherds. And that is how we will save the world. Can you imagine the response? Can you imagine the kings and the princes around the table looking at this person and thinking to themselves, this guy's an idiot. He would be run out of the room. He would be laughed at. And everybody at that table, no doubt, would have said, that is the most insane, stupid, ridiculous plan I've ever heard. And it's like that, that clip that you and I have seen. Thank you. I don't think we could have gotten any dumber than what you have just said. You all know what that clip is, right? Okay, maybe it's just me. This is what God did. God's grand plan to save the world was a baby born to a virgin in a cave. And the beginning of the good news would be told to shepherds who would then be told to tell everybody else. How in the world could anybody think that was a good idea? Except that if you look at the history of God, if you look at His pattern, He always does things upside down and backwards compared to how we would do them. Amen? Always. But I want you to see this morning, this Christmas story, hopefully in a different light, but I want you to see it with, with fresh eyes. And I want you to see the, the, the small, pedestrian, uh, uh, strange way that God chose to save the world. Luke chapter 2. 
I want to read you this Christmas story. This is the story I read last week, and we had a discussion about how Christmas is not always the most wonderful time of the year. This time, we're going to actually go through the Scripture and see what God has to say through it. So in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And so let's begin this story with, with the, the, the main characters. Of course, Jesus is the main character, but, but these other supporting characters are the main characters of this part of the story. So the two characters you have are Joseph, and you have Mary, and you also have Caesar Augustus. Caesar said, let there be a census, probably because he wanted to issue some new taxes and he wanted to make sure that all the people were counted and all the people were taxed properly. So he said, go to your hometowns and register for the census. Now, Mary and Joseph were living in where? They were living in Nazareth. Nazareth, if you're looking at uh, Israel, Nazareth is up here above the Sea of Galilee. It is 85 or 90 miles if you go through Samaria to go straight down to Jerusalem, well, to Bethlehem, which is about four or five miles uh, to, the, to the south of uh, Jerusalem. And so that 85 or 90 mile trek was what Joseph was supposed to go on. But now Mary and Joseph went. Do you know that there was no requirement for Mary to go? Mary didn't have to go. Why did she go? Well, we don't really know, but we can, we can presume some things. Well, why would she go? The first most likely reason is this. She was pregnant. Now, I want you to picture in your head how scandalous her pregnancy was. Her pregnancy was a miraculous pregnancy. That means she never knew a man. She was a virgin, and the Holy Spirit uh, uh, made her be with child. Now, I know that's not possible, right? It's not. Even with, even with science, there has to be some kind of... of, 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 of something going on, but this is a girl who became pregnant because God made her pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, why would she need to be pregnant this way? Number one, to fulfill the prophecy. There's a prophecy in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 7 that said that there would be a girl of a young virgin who'd become pregnant and she'd give birth to the son. So it's fulfillment of prophecy, but the second one has to do with, with a, a theological issue of, of the sinless nature of Jesus. But putting all those aside, you still had this young girl who was now pregnant getting onto a, a donkey and traveling 90 miles. Ladies, can you empathize? Yeah, I'm seeing disgust on your face. I have been a part of three births. And in, no, in not one single one of those experiences can I possibly imagine my wife giving birth, or excuse me, my wife traveling on a donkey for 90 miles that pregnant. Because it wasn't like she was... Er I, I'm told, I've experienced there's more than one kind of pregnant. There's, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, woohoo! 
there's, I'm pregnant. And then there's, I'm pregnant, right? It was that last one that she was, right? Women, am I right? It was that last one that she was. And so she went 90 miles in this way. Now, another reason she probably didn't stay, another reason she probably went was related to the pregnancy. And that was that it was scandalous for her to be pregnant. See, in those days, women had no rights. They pretty much were under the authority of their husband. And so there were all kinds of rules that had to be in place from, from God that said, look, uh, you've got to protect women, you've got to take care of women. And, and it, was just, it was just part of the social status of the day. And so for her to, to, to be pregnant and, and, and be pregnant before she was married was not only scandalous, but it was embarrassing. I want you to consider what it would be like to be 15 or 13 and pregnant in those days and have to give the excuse, so who's the father? Because Nazareth wasn't a big place. It wasn't like there were a whole lot of options, right? So this, this, this word would have gotten around town that Mary is pregnant. She's been messing around. She's been, she's been doing things that she's not supposed to be doing. Who's the father? And her answer is... God. Because she knew that it was the Holy Spirit who, 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 that, that caused her to conceive, because that's what God said to her. God said, through an angel, you are going to be, become pregnant, and you are going to be, give birth to a son, and that son is going to be the Savior of the world. And so she carried the weight of this embarrassment. She carried the weight of this, this uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This uh, humiliation. For nine months. So certainly she'd want to go with her husband. Right? Why? She wanted to get out of town. But it wasn't just, just Mary that, that was dealing with this. Joseph also was dealing with this. Because Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 finds out his fiance is pregnant. And what is he going to do? Well, there's really only two options. You can embarrass her and leave her. Or you can, you can stay with her. Well, he said, you know what, I'm, I'm not staying with her. I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to embarrass her because that would be just, I'm, I'm a, I just don't want to hurt her that way. So I'm just going to quietly slip out of this relationship. And God spoke to him and said, look, this is of my doing. I want you to stay with her and I want you to walk with her and I want you to support her because she is going to give birth to the Savior of the world. What a crazy, strange beginning. Now, any one of us in this room would, if we were asked, okay, I need you to save the world, would we come up with the idea, let's let an illegitimate child from a young unwed mother uh, and, and then have a father who would, who, would, who would stay, let's let that be the, the origin of, of the Savior. Anybody? No. Why? Because it's scandalous. But interestingly enough, both for, jo both for Joseph and for Mary, there were these little glimmers of hope that God gave to them. For the case of Mary, it was, it was a giant glimmer. It wasn't really a glimmer, I suppose. If you look in the, in the Scripture in Luke chapter 1, what you find is that when Mary is told that she is pregnant, it's in chapter 1, verse 26, in the sixth month... Um, 
Well, go back, go to 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Okay? And so Mary asked in verse 34, How can this be? Since I am a virgin, and the angel answered, verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the Holy One will be born to you called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive in her, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. If you have a pen, marker, lipstick, whatever, mark verse 37. Memorize 37, for no word from God will ever, what? Say that with me. No word from God will ever fail. You might have everything in your life going as wrong as wrong could be, but let me tell you something. If God has said it, His word will never, ever fail. Even when nothing looks right. Even when nothing looks possible, even when the entire world screams against you, you are a fool, you are a, a, a crazy person, you are just delusional. If God has said it, His word will never fail. That's all we need. But it's not all we're going to get. But that's, that's all we need. His word will never fail. And so... One of the beautiful things and the gracious things about God is this. He says, His word will never fail, and let me show you. So often, God puts us into places where we have to have great faith, but God gives us these little nuggets of, 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 of evidence that our faith is not in vain. What was the evidence? Well, the evidence for her was the fact that her relative was pregnant. Now, we can read the story in chapter 1, um, verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the, the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other ferment to drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom and the righteous or the wisdom of righteous to make ready the people prepared to make ready a people prepared for the Lord and of course Zacharias said Lord how can this be I'm old my wife is well along in years translated she's old notice his wife wasn't there when he said that he says this to God in verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until this, the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. 
Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And so when the time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Oh, there's so much in this. Do you see the pain that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were living in? Of all the things that they could have and ever want and desire, a child was the most important thing. Because a husband and a wife without a child, specifically without a son, is a, a, a family that's name ceases to exist. So the importance of a husband and a wife having a son was greater than all of the gold on the planet. The two of them wanted a child so desperately, but she could not conceive. They were old in their years, and they were at the point of, of not, probably not even, well, not even probably, they were not even thinking it was possible. They figured their story had already been written. And yet Zechariah, just being faithful in his duties, don't miss this, their story was bad, yet he was still faithful in his duties. He was still offering sacrifices to the Lord. He was still doing what he was called to do, even in spite of the heartbreak and the brokenness of being barren. Do you see that? So many times we give up in the midst of our, our, our disappointments and we go, well, fine, I'm just not going to... No, the faithfulness in the midst of the struggle is oftentimes where you will find the answer to the struggle. Think this through. Had he given up, and by the way, his wife Elizabeth was, Elizabeth was also from the priestly line. And so she was from the line of Aaron. He was from the Levites. And so the two of them were in the priestly line. They were both ministering to the Lord. And so when he went in to do the, the, the ministry that it was his time to do, had he not done that, what would their story be? I, you know, I was talking to somebody else recently about, about worship and how I can't remember who it was but how sometimes we don't feel like worshiping. We don't feel like corporate worship, or we don't feel like reading the Scripture, or we don't feel like doing what, what God says for us to do. And, and we press on and do it even in spite of not feeling like it. And it's in those moments that God comes into our life so powerfully that we leave going, I'm so glad I didn't miss this. Can anybody testify to that? It's when you push through, even in spite of what you see, and God says, you know what? I'm going to honor your faithfulness. Do you know why they were childless and barren up to this point? Because God had a plan. They couldn't see the plan. They didn't understand the plan. They weren't told the plan until the appointed time when God was ready to give them the plan. Folks, I want to tell you something. There's somebody in this room who doesn't understand why the plan that you figured out is, is for your life isn't working, and you're frustrated, and you're angry, and you're wanting to give up. But I want to tell you, don't give up, because God's plan will always be right on time. Always. Always. Because what we just read, when the Lord says it, it's verse 37. For no word from God will ever fail. 
And so Mary has this confirmation that, that what God has said to her through the life story of another person. So Zachar- imagine this picture. Zechariah comes out of the temple and, and the people have been waiting this long time. However long they were waiting, they were like, man, something's going on in there. He comes out and, and he starts signing to them. I mean, there was no American Sign Language, so they, I don't know what he did, but he was, he was saying to them, something happened. Then he goes home, and shortly thereafterwards, he finds his wife is pregnant. And oh, the joy that she experienced. And for five months, she was in seclusion. Why do you suppose that happened? Maybe it's the same reason that so many people, when they... They suffer a miscarriage or they suffer a, 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 a situation of pregnancy and, and they're pregnant once again. They don't tell anybody because of the, um, just because of the, the disappointment and the letdown that they might experience. You think that there was a little anxiety going on with her? You think there was a little bit of maybe, maybe struggle going on? Well, it came time for her to give birth and when she gave birth... It was a testimony to God, to His faithfulness, and it was a testimony to Mary. Everything that you've heard will come to pass. Consequently, I didn't read it, but when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, what, what she says to her is nothing but spectacular. When she walks into the room, Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? Now, I want you to hear what was said, and I want you to know what was felt. Blessed are you among every other woman, you unwed mother who's running away from your city because of the embarrassment of being there alone. Do you see how the circumstance doesn't match? What a strange way for God to save the world. That God would save the world through scandal. So Joseph, we already talked about him. He could have let her, let her down. He could have let her go, but he chose not to do that. He just had to suck it up. He just had to suck it up. Could you imagine him in the wood shop making his, making his uh, spoons and bowls and stuff and some customers come in and, so Joseph, uh, did you figure out who the daddy of your baby is yet? Could you imagine that? So Joseph, uh, you serious, dude? You still going to marry this, this girl? I mean, ser- seriously? You know, we, we've been checking around, and there's nobody in, in Bethlehem, or there's nobody in Nazareth that's going to cop to it, so she must have, like, some traveler coming through. Dude, that's even worse. Could you imagine? But why did he not just bail on her? Because the Lord said, this is of God. Hold on. Be patient. And I will do in front of you something amazing. So they are in Bethlehem finally. And again, lots of empathy to Mary for traveling 90 miles pregnant. Pregnant, right? Lots of empathy. They get to this city, which is just a few miles outside of Jerusalem, 
And when they get there, they go to the Holiday Inn, and, and the Holiday Inn's like, I'm sorry, but we're totally booked. There's an SEC game going on, and we're just, we have, we, have no, we have no room. So they go over to the Days Inn. They go, sorry, we don't have any room. Go try the La Quinta. So they go over there. Of course not. No, these aren't hotels. These are, these are, these are uh, uh, much smaller establishments. It might be you have a room or have a general room that you go in and you can stay the night under a shelter. But there wasn't even room in any of the guest rooms. But somebody said, well, I'll tell you what. There is a, a shepherd's stall outside the back of my place. You're welcome to go there if you'd like. But I got to warn you, it's, it's not super fancy. We'll take what we can get. Now, if you look at the front of your bulletin, you will see what is not a stable and a manger. This is to help you. This is what we think of. But what it really was was a cave, which is essentially rock and dirt. There was some dampness. Would have been lower ceilings. It wasn't, it wasn't this expanse. It wasn't like the, the birthing center at West Florida or Sacred Heart or Baptist. No, this was a cave. So I want you to picture yourself as a pregnant teenager from God, riding in the middle of the night to this place and then being told there, there is no place for you to go, but you can go into the cave. And so they move into this cave and then you give birth on a rock. No midwives, no surgical soap to wash your hands, no heater to heat the water. I, I guess they could have gone outside and made a fire, but could you get any more crude than this? Is there any woman in this place who'd like to volunteer to be Mary next time? No? Any, any man that wants to volunteer to be Joseph next time? No? Why not? Well, duh, all right? So in this cave, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the one who is known as Almighty God, Messiah, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, the Great I Am, is born. There's no mood candles. There's no soft music in the background. There's no epidural. You know, there's... None of that. It's just crudeness. There's not even an audience in the waiting room. It's just them. But as the baby's born, God is making an announcement. He doesn't go to the city square. He doesn't go to uh, the princes and the governors. No, he goes out into the fields. And he says to his angel, Don't be afraid, but I've come to bring you some good news. He's talking to the shepherds. Now, shepherds in, in this day were not, um, were not like shepherds of today. You know, today, at least in our country, you might choose to be a shepherd they didn't necessarily choose to be a shepherd. That's pretty much all they could do. Shepherds had a reputation of being seedy. They had a reputation of being dishonest. They had a, had a, had a reputation of being shifty. Shepherds were not the high class. Shepherds were not even the middle class and weren't even the low class. They were at the bottom of the barrel. If there was a, if there was a, a ladder of, 
of social uh, status, shepherds would be right down here on the bottom rung or on the floor that the ladder stands on. And yet God said, I'm going to announce the birth of the Savior of the world through the lowest of the low. They will be the first ones to hear. Why do you suppose that happened? I think there's a reason. We'll get to that. But here's something cool about these shepherds. These shepherds were out in their field, fields watching their sheep. Now, they were close to Bethlehem. Most likely, they were, they were just within a couple of miles. How do we know that? Because they saw the star and they came and they were able to get there in that amount of time, right? It is not a guarantee, so, but it's a probability. It's likely that they weren't just regular shepherds. As I researched this, I could not find absolute concrete evidence of it, but it does seem that this is a real possibility. That these shepherds, being that they were so close to Bethlehem, means that they had their flocks somewhere between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Well, their Levitical law stated that the the sheep that were between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, the sheep that stayed in that area, were to be holy sheep. And they were the sheep that were to be used for the sacrifices in the temple. So these shepherds likely were watching over sheep that would one day be the sheep that were offered in the temple as a sacrifice to God for the sin of the world. Wow. So so these shepherds who were watching the sheep, the sacrifices were told, I have made a final sacrifice. The sheep that was just born is going to be the final sacrifice. So essentially, you're out of a job. (laughs) That was okay. So they saw this, they heard this news, and with the angels' news came something else. There was a great host of angels who began to sing. And as they began to sing... This is what they would have heard. Glory to God in the highest, verse 14. Uh, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whose, whose favor he rests. So a great company of heavenly hosts appeared. Now, interestingly enough, um, if you're going to put on a big concert, what are you going to do? You're going to promote it, right? You're going you're gonna to have a lot of people there. You're going to get on the radio and the TV. You're going to do a lot of press. And you're going to try to get hundreds and thousands of people there to hear this massive choir sing, right? God didn't do any of that. God said, I'm going to send my choir of angels to proclaim the birth of my son. And the only ones that are going to hear it are a few of the lowly, stinky shepherds. And he puts on this production, and they sing, Glory to God in the highest. Could you imagine the sound? Now, why were the shepherds afraid to begin with? Because with this whole production, what we have is actually the glory of God appearing to the shepherds. Now, if you'll remember, the glory of God shown in history throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, but it was less and less and less frequent. So this, if you think about it, is the return of the glory of God among the people. His glory shone in such a way that they were afraid, and these angels sang, Glory to God in the highest of heavens, and peace on earth to whom His favor rests. And then they were told, This is because there's a baby that was just born. Go and find Him in a cave 
in a manger wrapped in, wrapped in swaddling clothes. So they went and found this baby. And when they got there, their response was what? Their response was to uh, verse 16. Sorry about that. Like, can we go ahead and uh, maybe change that? Just put on the house lights if you got it. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Verse 16. No, we're going to have to have more light. Put on the house, yeah. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them, uh, to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So these shepherds took this, this sight, took this story, and they couldn't shut up about it. They started talking and talking and talking. Now, again, I want you to think of the lunacy of how this all worked out. God chose an unwed mother to become pregnant, to live in the shame and the embarrassment of this. But God said, hold on, because I've got a plan. And then he took a, a young man who was pledged to be married to this woman or, or who, who had pledged to marry this woman and said, hold on, i got a plan. The two of them traveled 90 miles down to Bethlehem because there was a governor who said there's going to be a census, there's going to be a, a, a counting. He had no idea that God was fulfilling his own prophecy through the governor. This is a reminder that the Bible says God holds the heart of kings in his own hand. There's not a ruler on the planet that God could not in an instant make do anything he wanted them to do. Amen? We get all freaked out about governors and rulers. Don't worry. God's got their heart. In his hand. That doesn't mean they serve him. It doesn't mean they yield to him. But it means that God will not be upstaged. Ever. And so you have Joseph and Mary. Then you have these shepherds in these humble circumstances. And then they go out and they begin to tell the story. And the story spreads from ground up. Now why do you suppose God did it this way? Why do you suppose God didn't start from the top down like we would have done? Here's why I think. Because the message that the shepherd said was, this is salvation, this is good news for all the people, for everybody. Had God, went, had God first gone to the elite class and the rich, they would have taken what God said and they would have held it to themselves. They always do. Amen? Just look at the history of the world. When the elite class gets something wonderful, they hoard it to themselves. This is ours. But when the lowly get it, they, they tend to share it much more freely. Not only that, but the fact that the lowly got it meant that it truly was for everyone, not just some. What this means is that the gospel, the good news of salvation from God, is for the white, it's for the black, it's for the Asian, it's for the Hispanic, it's for the people that look like us, the people who don't look like us, the people who think like us, the people who don't think like us, the people who have our values, the people who don't have our values, people who are part of our nation, people who are not part of our nation. This is why none of us in this room can have any, ang any angst or any type of ill feelings toward any human on the planet. Because God loves and seeks to save everyone. Can I get a witness? Everyone. Now look, I know that we're humans and we struggle with this kind of stuff. I, I struggle with this stuff too. But it's a reminder to us this Christmas that in all the rhetoric we hear in our country, the rhetoric we hear across the world, that God doesn't have the same kind of lines we draw. 
God's, God's love for people is different. We've got to fix that, guys. You're killing me. <laughs> His love for people is different, and our love for people should be different. How is your love for people? Look, we live in a difficult environment, folks. We do. Just, it's just the reality. You know, I'm, I'm looking at folks, and I, and, and I know most of your professions, and every one of us with a profession that deals with people. It's a hard one, right? Because people are strange. People are sometimes evil. I was talking with a, a, a judge the other day, and I was asking him, I said, how do you make rulings? How do you, how do you, you know, not, not like prejudge somebody? He said, you know what, I, I think of people, I, I consider everybody that comes into my courtroom is, fits into one of three categories, and I, and I try, to, try, to, try to, 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 to discern what category they're in. He said, they're either, they've either made a bad choice, or they have bad circumstances, or they're just pure evil. He said, I, I try to decide that based on the evidence of, of, of who, what I'm seeing because, because that, that doesn't change what they did. What the, if they violate the law, they violate the law, but it at least helps me how to, to know how to deal with them. Does that make sense? And I, and I heard that and I thought, wow, what if we did that? What if we recognized people in that kind of way? Because, you know, I think that's what the gospel says to do. The gospel tell, tells us that this good news is for all people. All people. Can I get personal with you? Sometimes our words don't match our belief. We've got to be very cautious, especially in today's cultural climate what we say and how we say it Some, because sometimes our words don't, don't testify that the gospel is for all people and sometimes we can get caught up in the rush of, of things and we can forget that you know what as Christ followers we are set apart we are different we have a, a different standard we're part of a different kingdom our king came as a baby born in a cave to, an un, uh, uh, to, an, to a, a, a girl who got pregnant before she was married. That's our, that's our story. And look, if your story starts as, as jacked up as that, you can know the rest of the story is going to be pretty weird too. But here's what I can tell you. Because it's so different, it actually makes it it actually makes it much more believable at least to me it does because if you think that story is crazy imagine the story of the final the finale of how god saves the world this jesus would be born uh, it would would grow up to be a man and he would be crucified and he would hang on a cross to carry the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders you think that's a crazy story? What about that story? Strange way to save the world, if, if you ask me. Let me ask you a question. What is your response to this story this Christmas? There's so many things you could pick out of it, but 
But I want you to settle on one. Here's what hits me. What I think about is the fact that even in their dysfunction and in their, their, their uh, things that are going so wrong, they still hung, they still clung or clinged, clanged. They still held on to the, the words of God. They said, you know what, I'm not going to stop believing. Don't stop believing the words of God. Or you might, might see that they backed up their belief with action. Every one of them had to choose to believe, and then they had to act on that belief. Or maybe it's the fact that God took the lowly and used the lowly to shame the wise, to tell the story. What, what part of this hits you? Maybe all of it does. Close your eyes and bow your head with me, if you will. This morning, let me ask you this. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? Do you know for certain that if you were to die today, that you are right with God? And when you stand before Him, He will say to you, Yes, I know you. Or is there some uncertainty about that? Listen, I'm becoming a better person does not make you right with God. Doing good things or helping the poor, that doesn't make us right with God. The only way to be right with God is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I've just told you a crazy story, and that story is the story of the gospel. I think part of the reason it's so crazy is because it makes it, it, makes it truly faith. But God has not left us without witness. All of the Old Testament has prophecy after prophecy pointing to the very fact that this story is true. And history bears witness to the fact even afterwards that this story is true. Will you simply believe it? Father in heaven, my prayer today is that you would help us to see you as exalted even though you came in such lowly circumstances. Jesus, we thank you. And we give you honor today. It's in your name we pray. Will you stand with me? Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.